The sermon text is from the Old Covenant, Deuteronomy chapter 8. If you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. And then we'll turn to Hebrews 12 for the New Testament, New Covenant reading. But first, Deuteronomy 8. This is Moses speaking to the people of God as they're about to renew the covenant made at Mount Sinai um, before they go into the promised land and conquer the nations in it by God's strength. Moses says, The whole commandment that I command you today you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you testing you to know what was in your heart whether you would keep his commandments or not and he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone Man lives by every word that comes from the mouth, mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains, of springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity and in which you will lack a thing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest, when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through great and terif- the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do, to do you good. Beware, 
lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Here's a reading of God's word. Turn to Hebrews 12, beginning in verse 5 of Hebrews 12. <clears throat> the word of the living God Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us, short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. There is the reading of your word, the word of God from Hebrews. Someone once wrote many, many, Experience is the best teacher. I happen to know who that was. Julius Caesar. I don't read Latin, so I read it in translation. But Julius Caesar ruled the Roman Empire from 46 to 44 BC. He was a general and he became uh, the emperor. Um, he made various social and other reforms in the Roman Empire. And the month of July is named after him. July. So every time you enter the month 
of July, you could think, Julius Caesar, who was he? Also, the words Kaiser in German and Tsar in Russia and Khazar in Islam are after Caesar. Because those were emperors who understood that he was a uniquely powerful and effective leader. Julius Caesar wrote in one of his books, experience is the best teacher. The problem with experience teaching you something or anything is if you forget the experience, you've learned nothing. The Israelites, when Moses is speaking to them, are being warned to not forget what they had experienced. We'll look at what they had experienced and how Moses presents that to them. And in summary, this is what they experienced. They had 40, over 40 years, 40 years of experiences with the true and living God. Started in Egypt, experience number one is you had no rights, no privileges, You were slaves. You had forced labor. They threw your baby boys in the Nile to destroy them at one point. That was your experience. Experience number two, God sends one of your relatives, Moses, to rescue you with God's power from slavery, from beatings, from hard labor. Experience number three, these are summaries, they survived and even thrived. Forty years in a life-threatening wilderness. This was not a wilderness with paved roads or oases. This was non-life-sustaining. There was no water, no food to eat. Scorpions are not some animal you're going to eat, and so forth. Fiery serpents, whatever they were. It was life-threatening. Animals, no rain, no water, nothing to sustain life. But they survived and thrived because God was supernaturally taking care of them, not ordinary acts of common grace or the natural world around them. Why did God do this? He did it for two reasons, and basically only two reasons. One, God was testing them. Two, God was teaching them. The test sounds weird because you would think God doesn't need to test anybody to find out what's in them, but that's what the text says. God wanted to humble them by testing them to, quote, see what was in their heart, whether they would keep his commandment or not. It was a test that showed the answer to them as well as to God. The lesson that they were to learn was God intended to humble them with hunger, and teach them that God could feed them by his word commanding something to drop out of the sky, manna, that would feed them for one day, except on two days for the Sabbath. That, quote, God might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And their clothing didn't wear out for 40 years. I don't know about you, but I have occasionally had shoes that last maybe 10 or 20 years because I don't use them every day. I have clothes that, these clothes I'm wearing, I've had maybe for 15 years, but I don't wear them to do any rough work. But to have your clothes in a wilderness last for 40 years and your feet not swell as you're walking, maybe you're riding a camel, I don't know what they had, but for 40 years, no swollen feet, no clothing wear out. So what was the general lesson they were to learn? Their experience should teach them two truths. Number one, 
God disciplines his people, his children. Two, you should do what this God commands you to do, and you should fear him and treat him seriously. So verse 5, know then in your heart, because of this experience, as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. Think about this. For 40 years, every day of 40 years, they experienced just enough food for one day, except on the Sabbath, they got two days worth of food. God provided literally bread daily, and only enough for that day. They couldn't, you know, they tried, let's, let's keep it. No, it's only going to last for one single day. So every day you woke up thinking, It was a daily experience of God supernaturally dropping out this manna from the sky by the power of his word, which can create and destroy just by speaking it, it happens. That was their daily experience for 40 years. They were not living, clearly, let me say, they were not living by their own wits, their technology, or efforts. They didn't do anything in a life-threatening wilderness to feed themselves one single day. God only gave them enough for one day except two days on the Sabbath. So the Sabbath they wouldn't have to collect anything. So I did the math, and that's 14,600 roughly daily experiences of supernatural provision. God speaks it into existence, it comes down, and we eat it. Oh, it's gone. Dead again, 14,600 lessons that affect that you live another day. You're not hungry after you eat that. And they are, they're also to understand you're not just an animal. Animals just eat. They don't thank God. They don't praise God or anything. But they were to understand as God's greatest creation that this comes from the very creator. Every day, the creator of the universe drops this food. And you go and gather it. You didn't make it. You found it because God gave it to you. By experience, they should know that God gave them the bread of heaven and that God's powerful word brings life and it brings death. For Moses, Deuteronomy explains that Moses is not going to enter the promised land. Deuteronomy 34, verse 5. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, alongside of the, the Jordan River, according to the word of God. God took Moses' life. He's done. The word of God took his life. Our Lord Jesus. The word of God directed says this, no one takes it, that's my life, Jesus speaking about his life, from me. No one one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take take it up again. This command I have received from my Father, the word of God, the command of God, told Jesus, take it down. You're going to die. 
I'm gonna, this is a two-application sermon. This first application comes right now. The application for us is this. You can learn from the experience of those people in the wilderness. You could read that and say, well, I believe that. I, I, I truly believe that. I will trust God every day of my life for my life. Or you can be like them and realize that not just them, but I and the Church of Jesus Christ goes through painful experiences, individual experiences of pain, group experiences, denominational experiences, missionary experiences, and we are taught by those experiences what God wants us to know. Christ humbles us by training us with humble, painful experiences that we've become holy and Christ-like. Christ himself experienced suffering. He learned from that suffering. And in Hebrews chapter 12, the passage says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Same language. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. This is to Christians now, not to the Israelites. Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. God is a critic for your good. He reproves, he criticizes you. He says, that's wrong. This is better. Move, love more in this way. Don't do this. God criticizes his children for their good. That's what a reproof is. Don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It's for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. You want to be a son of God? Be ready to take a painful experience or two or three and some criticism from the God Almighty who knows you better than you know yourself. And for some of us, it takes that two by four to get it through. Pain. Oh, I better not do that again. Pain. Oh, no, you're going to learn it because God is teaching you until you get it. Shall we? We've had fathers who discipline us for their, his purpose. Our, our fathers do that. We shall, shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? God disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. You don't get holy by skating through life like, oh, this is great. No problems. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Amen to that. But later, it yields. Later, endure through the painful experience and say, what is... I had a friend years and years ago. He was, he was just a character in many ways. And I was in Rochester, New York, and I got to know him through some friends. And he had this way of looking at daily experiences. And he retired early from Kodak and took a bonus and started his own printing business. This is way before computers could do the things they can do today. And he was once working on an urgent project, printing something for a bank, a brochure or something. And he was getting the you know, printing press all cleaned from the previous job, and he was doing everything he had to do. And he broke a bottle of ink on the printing press. It was the wrong color, ruined it. He had to start all over again. What was his response? I guess God is trying to teach me patience. He wasn't cursing. It 
ruined whatever he had done before that. He had to start all over again. I don't know how long it took. And I thought, Dave, that's, that's pretty godly. So what kind of painful experiences does God use? Well, I'm not going to ask for a survey here, but you could have financial pain, job loss, economic crisis out of your control. You could have physical pain, broken body, illness, a terminal disease, treatment for your cancer that makes you wish you were dead. I had a friend who went through that. Emotional pain, a broken heart, death of a loved one, rejection by someone, betrayal by someone. They don't touch you, but boy, it hurts. And there's spiritual pain, temptations to sin by lying, stealing, sexual immorality. King David probably felt the sting of his own sexual immorality when his child from Bathsheba died. Eventually, you and I all will die according to the word of the Lord. Now, the Israelites are then, by Moses, given a second kind of experience. This is a future experience. They're, they've had the wilderness experience. Now they're going to have the absolute office, opposite experience. Wilderness experience, life-threatening environment. They're going to go into the promised land, the land of milk and honey, where things just grow, so to speak. The test is they are going to enter the promised land. Moses is saying, you're going to go into the promised land, and the promised land is a place where you will lack nothing a man could want. Even what you have is going to be multiplied. This is the test. For the Lord your God, verse 7, for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out of the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and of vines, fig trees, pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing. Everything a man could desire, you're going to have it all. You're not going to say, wow, I wish I had the watch. No, you're going you're to have everything a man could want. You lack nothing. And they should be thankful for all the natural resources of the land they're going into, the rain that God will give. And they should recognize those natural resources are a gift from God. As much as the supernatural manna fell down that nobody has ever seen before or after them in that 40-year period. But God will bless them in this way. But here's the warning. God is for Moses, he's telling these people, watch out for success, luxury, comfort, because those things can lead you to disobey God. 13, when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, what will happen? The luxuries, the ease, will cause them to forget what they had experienced in the wilderness that same God that did that in the wilderness where they had nothing they could count on, naturally. Verse 14, you will be proud and forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground and where there was no water, who brought you water out of the ground, out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. They're going to forget that. They're going to be in paradise on earth, so to speak. They will become proud. They will be, the warning is they will, you will become proud and you will think that you accomplished all this comfort and abundance. 
before they're, they're not yet there in the promised land, but before God puts them in that situation, Moses, inspired by God, is giving this warning that they will be proud and they will go into unbelief because of the wonders of having everything they could want. Verse 17 summarizes it. Moses is telling the people, Beware, lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. The warning is that success can kill you spiritually as you boast of your ability to succeed on your own. And you forget that it is God Almighty who gives you or someone the ability and power to get wealth. And then Moses adds this warning. You're in danger that God will kill you because you start thinking that in your success. Verse 19. If you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them because you've become proud and said, I did all this. Moses writes and says, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you. You go into the promised land, you're going to kill all those nations that are in the promised land. You're going to kill every man, woman, and child because they're so wicked. So you shall perish like them because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God because you become proud and self-sufficient and arrogant. They become like pagans. They disobey God and worship other things, people or gods. They will then become cursed just like the Canaanites are going to be cursed as the Israelites go in and kill them and possess the land. What did Jesus teach about the wilderness and himself? Verse John 6, chapter 6 of John 49, 51, just very briefly. Jesus said, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Christ will sacrifice himself on the cross. His flesh will be what you trust in that gives you not just life for a season, but eternal life. You, the warning is you and I, whatever success we have in this earthly existence, must not forget what Jesus Christ did for you. His suffering, his death, his resurrection, his ascension to heaven, and his return. These things will bring us into the promised land. It's not here. The new heaven, the new, new earth. And Jesus has warnings similar to Moses. Chapter 10 of Matthew. Do not think I have come to bring peace on the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. I have, not come, I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And 
Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Not Julius Caesar, but somebody about 100 or so years ago once wrote this. Experience is a hard teacher. It gives you the test first and the lesson afterwards. God, in the Bible, tells you the experiences of other people. You can read it. You can read this book. And you can learn from their bad experiences. I don't have to commit murder and adultery to experience what David went through. I know I don't want to go that way. So you can learn by their experience. Or you can ignore their experience. If you have possessions today, any money, any land, any house, any property, any skills, talents, abilities, God gave you the power to do those things. Yes, you can be a steward of it, but God gave you that. He gave you the opportunity of good teachers to teach you these In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes to the Corinthian church, probably the worst church in the New Testament, in my personal opinion, chapter 4. He writes this. Who sees anything different in you? He's talking about among the people. What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? In John's Gospel, chapter 3, John says something profound. A person cannot receive or have, or possess, even one thing, unless it is given to him from heaven. Whatever you have, you do not have, because you did it. God gave it to you. You are completely, 100% dependent on God for having what you have, and even keeping it. Food, shelter, clothing. The Lord's Prayer says, give us our daily bread. That's like, I want manna from heaven. I just want what I need for today. And Christ is the source for us believers of true life. And we do love Christ, don't we? And we do want to serve him. And when we die, we will die in Christ. Your experiences, personal as a church, should teach you that God is at work in you Oh, to do his will according to his word and his spirit. The Bible then, in the New Testament, again to the Corinthians, speaks of what the Israelites went through in the wilderness, and I'll just summarize this. It, it, in 1 Corinthians 10, it talks about they were baptized into Moses. They drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was there that I'm not going to explain right now. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, and they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things took place as examples for us. Deuteronomy was written for us. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. 
skipping a few verses. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. There you have it. You can read about the wilderness experience and say it happened to them so I wouldn't have to go through that experience. Your choice. Want to go after other gods? Love something more than Jesus? Look at the wilderness experience. That's what you'll find at the end. The way of transgression is a hard way, ultimately. It's your choice. Learned by experience, personal experience, or the experience of those other people. Let's pray. Dearest Father in heaven, we thank you that experiences that are written in the Bible are both for those who experienced it and also for us that we wouldn't have to go through the same horrible experience of doing evil and having the fruit of that, so to speak, come to roost in our hearts and minds, our lives. Protect us from forgetting what happened to them For you are a God who is majestic and powerful, and you will not let your children go astray. You will do whatever it takes to get us back on the proper direction. You will do the same for churches, for pastors. We praise you and thank you for your discipline, but we also pray, Father, that we would learn from your written word what it is like to go the wrong way, and that we would shun it. For our good and your glory, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.